What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the District Podcast. Uh, we're excited this week. Um, one, Matt said, not because Matt's gone. This is going to sound like we're excited because Matt's gone. That's not the truth. Um, we're excited because we have a special guest this week. He's been on once before. Mm-hmm. Um, some people call him Eli Bayless. Others call him Dad. <laughs> specifically. <laughs> Didn't see that coming. Specifically. I listened to Josh Gore's like episode. So I was like, oh, you started, and I was like, oh, they're going to do like a nickname bit now every time at the outset. But that was not the one I expected. Well, we I've learned some other nicknames in our church. Um, uh, this, is, this is a poor way to introduce you back on to the podcast. Yeah, but, just talking about other people's <laughs> nicknames. No, that's great. No, but we can think of one. Uh, <laughs> that's all right. One, one really good one. Um, I was running with Luke and Blake uh, about a week ago. And uh, Warren was riding his bike behind us, and Warren uh, was was tabbed as the barge <laughs> in wow. high school. <laughs> uh, is that a? <laughs> I suppose that's a po- in certain contexts that sounds like a positive. I mean, thing. it was for football. Positive you know, enough. Oh, okay, he, he yeah, would yeah, bust yeah. through the the offensive and defensive lines. I think. Fair um, enough. Have you? This is a good question. Have you had any nicknames growing up? Uh. No, not not really. Uh, because my name is so short. Like the real, ultimately, like the real functionality of a nickname is to like, you know, abbreviate it a little bit. If anything, I can remember as a kid. Uh, my, so my my full name is Eli. It's not short for Elijah <laughs> or Elisha or I don't know anything. Uh, it's just no. It's just Eli, and I was always like super happy with it for most reasons. Particularly like when you get the high score in arcade games, I could type my whole name in. People just, no, no no questions about who got the high score. Uh, but I always like I kind of wished it was short for something. Yeah. So if anything, I wanted my name to be longer and more complicated than it was. So, and that's the re- what that's that can't be the only reason you don't have a nickname. Like, I think it's well. If we get into the real reasons, probably because <laughs> I'm I'm just such a dominant and assertive, per- an aggressive personality that like I'm the guy making up nicknames that nobody wants. I'm I'm you in my social circles. It's like, hey, who wants a nickname? It was like nobody. nobody. I don't. My real name is fine. Just call me by my name, and yeah. let's just leave. So it people at that. are not coming up with a nickname for me for fear. That I will reciprocate, yeah, <laughs> with a nickname that they don't want either. <laughs> so, so my mom gave me a nickname growing up, and it's, it's I can imagine it's embarrassing. Um, and she would she, so my nickname growing up, and she still sometimes says this today is Deaner Beaner. <laughs> I, classic. <laughs> Classic. And she does this thing where she'll I'm I'm 38 and she'll still like if she can she'll like rub my rub my ears you know like a parent does this sounds creepy probably wait like <laughs> a parent does I don't know well, I don't know you like you you know get touch your kid's face and kind of okay. ex, you know have have some affection <laughs> yeah no that's how I show affection <laughs> to my kids Ugh. I just hug them you know right yeah. Give them well. That's what my you give ear massages. That's fine. No, I don't. Room. My mom would mm-hmm. would. That's kind of her like love language toward toward me. It was like ru- like rubbing my ear my ears this. and stuff. <laughs> All right. 
This has we, really gotten away from you. We go, we we just we open up in on this uh, <laughs> oh, on okay. this podcast. We let people know who we yeah. really are. I have a nickname that I'm trying to get off the ground uh, for uh, Lily, my daughter. Uh-huh. Her middle name is Moira, and I love that. Uh, and so I've been trying to like find ways to use it. Um, and so I I've uh, mentioned it to her that I want to call her Lil Mo because I think that's funny and she doesn't like it though. She does she's, she's like, no, she's not into it. She maybe maybe she'll grow into it. But I mean I, I, at the, a certain point with a nickname, this is this is back to my aggressive personality. You gotta use it whether just, they like it or not. <laughs> and it sticks. If you use it around enough people. Yeah. I mean then she'll just give up eventually. <laughs> put it on a birthday cake maybe. Yeah. Next time Lil Mo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you guys yeah, if we could start just making it happen, just refer to her as Lil Mo, and oh. she'll not respond to you. But that, that could lead to her in a counseling session twenty years from now. <laughs> Painful childhood experiences. Yeah. My dad refused to stop calling me Lil Mo. <laughs> Why was that troubling? I hated that nickname. <laughs> um. Uh, so it's fun to have you on because we've known each other for a really long time. It's true. And uh, I have uh, funny memories from one of my first real memory of you was when you I was a youth pastor at Riverlawn and you uh you weren't going to you weren't there but you were at a camp you were at Prairie View Christian camp um and I took some it was like middle school kids I was new we were playing in a band and we were leading worship at that camp yeah and again case in point there's some real introspection happening right here for me but just another example of me aggressively it was very forcing aggressive. myself into someone's <laughs> life. We didn't know each other. We met at that camp, and right. I was like, "This guy, I'm gonna, I'm gonna terrorize, and I'm gonna insert myself into every part of his life." And slowly but surely, and, I did. Yeah, that's that's probably that's probably the first start aggressive start. <laughs> I'm eating lunch with the you know the kids in the lunchroom. I don't know. There's 50, 60 middle school kids around and you guys come over and start singing a song and it's and it seems very endearing very nice like oh man they're singing a song like this is fun and everyone's laughing it's a good time and then you guys proceed to punch my sandwich uh over and over to where there really was no point in eating it anymore it was you violently destroyed my lunch and haha joke over at the very least we touched our bare hands to it (laughs) yeah yeah so that was my first that's my first memory of us together this podcast episode is about how to make friends and keep them forever (laughs) nicknames that no one asked for (laughs) touch their food with your bare hands works every time 60 percent of the time it works works every every time time. (laughs) which is timely because we're in that that david series we're doing uh david and jonathan get really close and uh, a great probably, friendship. Yeah. I, I bet they have a, a a sandwich punching type friendship. They had nicknames for each other. Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> David, I can't think of anything. I mean, he, but it had to be like he, he maybe he was the first the Rock. Oh, you wow. know, because of the Rock and the Wow, that's that's a lot. That's a lot of a nickname to give. I was thinking like Davy. Davy, <laughs> but yeah, that's that's a good Davy and Joe. Davy and Joe, um, yeah, we could we could come up with something, but uh, really though, uh, and 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 anytime we're around each other, we we can like we goof off, we laugh, we we make fun of each other, we make fun of stuff, just kind of our language. Yeah. But we got 
close on a on a, on a spiritual level. Yeah. Um, and less aggressive. Less aggressive, <laughs> more meaningful, more formative. Um, and it really was like we've we've said before. Um, uh, it it was one of the times where discipleship really worked, and it was in a mm-hmm. one-on-one setting and situation. Um, yeah, to lend to lend a little bit of context to it, the the super abbreviated version. I was playing in that band. Uh, that was kind of the reason that we had met because of those overlapping circles. Once after having done that for a lot of years, there came a point where I was married and uh, for one reason or another, we quit the band and I, I had a little bit of a, of a moment of like, what what do I do? What am I supposed to do with the rest of my life? And because of the relationship you and I had, we, we got lunch together um, and was just sort of talking about that, just kind of getting some advice. But like, I, I mean, I don't feel like I know where I'm supposed to go next, what I'm supposed to do, trying to figure this whole thing out about where God wants me to be next. Um, And it was in that conversation where you kind of asked, you asked me the question specifically, uh, do you really feel that you are following after Jesus? And that sort of kick-started a conversation, an ongoing conversation since then, really, Mm -hmm. uh, between you and I that led into a one-on-one discipleship relationship that really truthfully like formed me spiritually in a, a massive way um, because of that sort of like transition period that I was in that you were very willing uh, to enter into that relationship with me and I because of my sort of I mean for lack of a better term desperation was really open to like having someone speak in and give me some advice I don't know where to go next I need someone to kind of help me see what what's next in line there's a lot of questions that because I, I, there's a lot of questions that come to mind when I think when I think of that the kind of the origination of that at the beginning of that when you say desperation what what was the drive or the thing under like what what caused you to be desperate I mean what was it about was it a season of life was it I mean what was it that maybe caused you to be in a bit of a I want to do something anything differently than what I've been doing because I mean you're playing in a Christian band you're you're leading worship at churches. You're. It's not like you weren't a part of like the the, the yeah. Christian, yeah. Um, you know, community on some level. So, but there was a distinct. I I want to learn how to follow Jesus mm-hmm. in the midst of that. What like what was that? Well, I think it was definitely kind of. Um, I mean, there was probably a lot of moving parts in that specific moment, but in that season, the one of the main reasons why I left the band. Uh, and, and just sort of called that quits was because I felt like as I looked at it, I felt a little bit more like I had put a sort of like God stamp onto a thing that at the end of the day, I just enjoyed doing. Um, and that like, you know, if you call it a Christian band, who's going to, who's going to tell you to stop that? Like, surely that's like a, a kind of noble calling. And ultimately, like what I can see, especially in retrospect now, was I was in a season of my life where I was finally, like the Holy Spirit was finally like really convicting me of like, what is your calling? Mm -hmm. What is the calling for your entire life? Is this thing you're doing actually it? Mm -hmm. Um, And sort of any number of like dissatisfactions that I had, like playing in a band and traveling around, just wasn't for me. Like it didn't, uh, I enjoyed it greatly. I love playing music. And so I was having a blast. Um, but it didn't feel spiritually fulfilling. And um, hmm. it didn't, you know, uh, 
it wasn't checking any of that kind of stuff. And so it was sort of now that I'm, I was married at that point, it's like, I need something more meaningful. And, and this just didn't feel like it. And so kind of trying to figure out like, what, what do I do next? Cause at that point I had dropped out of college cause I was playing in a band and getting like D's in art school. So it's like, well, I got to pick one. So obviously I'm like rock and roll is definitely going to be a better path. We can see how that panned out. But I had sort of, I mean, at that point I was past college age. I was an adult. I was married. And so it's like, I felt a little bit like, have I, have I waited too long to figure out like what I'm supposed to be doing next? Yeah. Um, and so was just feeling a little bit of uh, just a lostness yeah. of like, I know the things that I like and the things that I have done, but right now I just feel like those don't feel, um, those don't feel like significant or meaningful things. And so how do I even go about figuring out what is next? Which is why I would say like desperation really was kind of the feeling of like, I'm married. I got responsibilities. I got to, I can't just mill around. I can't yeah. just like, you know, play it day by day, I got to figure out what, what am I doing with the rest of my life? I think that's super interesting because I think sometimes people think discipleship is uh, about kind of discipline. You know, the root word is, mm-hmm. is, is obviously it's, it's, it's got, it's uh, makes you think of discipline, makes you think of maybe some things you're doing, practicing certain things to get better reading the Bible and praying and that kind of thing. But, but for you, there was a, what am I doing with my life? Mm-hmm. That kind of started the discipleship question for you. Yeah, and and ultimately, I think to me, to me, like the the topics, like there's probably a number of like valuable conversations to be had regarding like you and I specific circumstances, but like discipleship was the mechanism that sort of like uh, led me from that spot of desperation into like, okay, now I do have this kind of idea of like what the point of my life is that I think uh, for me looked a specific sort of way, but in a general standpoint, uh, the discipleship was really just you being willing to step into my current situation and to help me move through it, you know, Mm, Um, that like thinking about it that way applies to anyone in any situation that um, the factor that made a significant amount of difference is that like discipleship is a two-way street. And I think maybe the secret to success for you and I's story of that discipleship relationship was because you were willing, you were uh, faithful, you made yourself available, and were eager to pour out uh, you know, what you knew and had to me. But then on the other side, I was desperate, and so I was, you know, ready to be faithful, and I was ready to make myself available, and I was ready to be teachable and to learn yeah. things that I was ready to admit that I didn't know. That that if you have that two way street, you know, that discipleship can happen in a million different scenarios, um, and that's just what happened to be for both of us. You were ready to, you know, step into discipleship, and I was ready. I was humble enough to ask for help. Yeah. Yeah, even if the calling doesn't necessarily lead to a vocation, um, it it still has. Uh, it's it's still important to think of discipleship as helping you discover your calling, 
helping mm-hmm. you discover kind of like your your skills and abilities and giftings that God's maybe given you that that maybe you haven't been using in a certain direction or a yeah. certain way. Yeah. Um, and there's that that um, old adage like like what you were just speaking to being faithful, available, and teachable. You you need two of those things at least. You know, if you don't have if you if you only have one of those things, it's not going to happen. Yeah. And uh, and and I think we did. We had those all three of those things really was mm-hmm. was um, on display for sure. Um, do you remember what we did? Like what like when people were like, hey, what did you guys actually do um, in, yeah. in discipleship in our rhythms? Do you remember what we did? Yeah, I mean, for for different like uh, windows of time, there was a, a couple of different iterations, and there were several other guys that were at different points yep. kind of a part of it. Um, uh, several of them like still involved at the district and mm-hmm. still like in meaningful relationship with those people to this day. And I think yeah. this in no uh, you know, no small way was like one of the catalysts for that deepening relationship. But we met, we met regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the times at least once a week, mm-hmm. um, we like set a day, um, for us, we set a day that was like this day, this time, um, we're going to meet here. Um, and we did different things for different points. There was one point where we kind of worked a little bit more on like developing like the daily rhythms and disciplines. We did like a, a, a discipline sort of calendar that we all kind of yeah. kept yeah. Um, to like challenge ourselves a little bit that we could all view and we we're kind of holding each other accountable to some more um, intentional disciplines and rhythms. And um, those things were valuable. There was a lot of practical things. We read books together. We studied scripture together. Um, we confessed sin to one another. All mm-hmm. of the sort of like practical, pragmatic uh, mm-hmm. rhythms, but ultimately the thing that made it work was we developed we developed friendships with each other that was that went way below the surface of so many other friendships yeah. we were we know each other um so well and on such a deep and spiritual level because we did all of that we talked about everything yeah. nothing was off limits there were times when we would Correct one another, rebuke one another, mm-hmm. challenge one another, call one another out. Uh, in, like you know, unfathomable amounts of examples of us encouraging one another and right. doing all those different things. There was a million different rhythms that were kind of a part of it. Yeah. But that consistency to just be a part of each other's lives um, and to be um, willing to know and to be known by each other, I think that was the yeah secret sauce. So well, yeah. I mean, I think. Um, it it led into uh, a relationship that was genuine, mm-hmm. um, authentic, all those kinds of things. I think like uh, brutal honesty um, was required. Yeah, you know, I don't I don't know if you can really um, if you can really be in a discipling relationship without brutal honesty. I think you can pick up rhythms and yeah, you can learn some tips and tricks. Yeah, yeah. But you don't even need, you don't even need a, a a close relationship with somebody to do right. that, right? You know, listen yeah. to a podcast, read a book, yeah. whatever. You can get those tips and tricks, but yeah. to get the fruit that I feel like, at least speaking for myself, that I saw, 
Like you can't get that yeah. from a book. It's got to be. It's got to be with flesh and blood. And, yeah. Um, yeah. No, I, I think I think those those components were huge. I remember the uh, the calendar that we used was from the team in Japan mm-hmm. that we had gone and kind of seen the way they they lived. And I, and I loved that um, <clears throat> that that they use like you would you would do four different you would do a, a you know whatever scripture you're reading mm-hmm. um, you would do kind of a prayer focus. That you were that you were praying for that day, um, there would be like a habit, kind of like with your with, you know, what you're doing with your hands and how you're serving or where you're serving, um, and then there would be a learning piece, which was, which was something like you're reading a book or you listen to a sermon, and every day you would mark green, meaning I did this on the day. Yeah, on the day. Yellow meant I made this up. It was supposed to be done yesterday, but I got it done Wednesday, so it was made up. And red was I have not done it, yeah. and that was that was uh, helpful because it, when we got it together in our group, it was not like did you do it or not do it. It was more what did you learn from it? Yeah. What are you learning as we're going, and um, how are you implementing it, and and all that kind of stuff. And which, I think honestly, like thinking back to using that, like for me, it felt more often. It was never that you like texted me and said, I was looking at your calendar. You got a lot of reds in there. Right. It was more that at the end of the month, like I looked at it and was like, man, there's, I could see this visual picture of the areas of my formation and spiritual discipline that I was skipping past. Yeah. Um, or at least mm. not prioritizing that I, I could see this like, you know, heat map, so to yeah. speak. Yeah. Of, my spiritual formation, I could see yeah. the areas where I was easily uh, achieving the goals that I'd set out and the areas that I was just overlooking wholesale. Yeah. I, man, I, uh, which, yeah, that, that tool, I, I suggested it, you know, I, I know other people who used it, that it wasn't really for them. Right. It didn't, it didn't necessarily produce, you know, yeah. healthy fruit. But for me, like my pragmatic sort of sensibilities, yeah. it was great. Like, Type A people tend to love it because yeah. they can check it off a list or whatever. But um, it, it makes me think of like uh, you you can't just um, you're a lot of us focus in on our behavior, right? We want our behavior to change. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't you can't really sustain behavioral change if your heart hasn't changed. Yeah. We talked about that with our our uh, with like our staff this week. Just like you have to. The, the heart has to be the thing. And in discipleship, I think Jesus makes this clear, and I think in any discipling relationship we have, the goal is a changed heart. Yeah. The heart is where you store up God's Word. It's where you um, forgive one another. It's, it's, it's how you process the world around you, which is crazy because Jeremiah, the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can understand it? Well, it's the heart that gets changed by yeah. Jesus. And all, looking back on all of those practical disciplines, you know, the scripture reading goals and the prayer goals and all that kind of stuff, I could still probably, it's probably still in my Google Drive, I could go back and look at that calendar, but I don't need to do that because in retrospect, when I think back about the calendar, you know, it wasn't about those goals. Uh, It's uh, Paul Washer, I think, he talks about sanctification. He describes it not as learning these new disciplines or, you know, improving your habits, but the way he phrases it, he says that sanctification is learning 
to love the righteousness you used to hate and to hate the sin that you used to love. Mm, yeah. Like when I look back in retrospect, even though all of those pragmatic steps were so valuable to yeah. me and taught me so much good practical rhythm, the reason they're meaningful to me today is because it was in that context where I learned to love scriptures yeah. and to love and value prayer and to love and value learning mm-hmm. um, and listening to other people and to discuss and debate and like with with one another like that was the real value that that led to heart change that is that I still have with me today well we, we talked about this yesterday uh, like the point is that you did it you showed up. You showed up not only to the, I mean, maybe the rhythms and the disciplines, but you showed up to meeting. We met together. We, we weren't, um, we were, we were close. We were in proximity with one another. We were talking about this. Like your faith doesn't grow by saying, "God, will you come through and just make this happen for me?" Hmm. Hardly ever. Almost always, when we pray that, God's response to us is, "Yeah, let's go." Yeah together, right? Let's we're going to do this and I'm going to be there. God's always going to show up. You like the promise is true, he's faithful. He's going to like you knock on the door, he's going to answer. You 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 seek, you'll find. Like he's going to show up. The question is are you going to get up and go? Mm-hmm. So we and we talked about how uh David David um didn't pray, God, wipe out Goliath. He had to get the sling and the stone, and he had to go out onto the battlefield, and he had to actually show up in full force. He needed to be fully present. Um, and then God's faithfulness was like revealed. And he had done that multiple times before, not with giants, but with bears and lions, right? He's like telling, telling Saul, hey, I've done this before. Yeah, this and is so the his, only weapon I have. Yeah, and so his faith was growing in the private and the little things, and then it was like, and and when when very little was at stake, um, and then the, like the platform was given to be ready for great things to be at stake, like the whole nation was at stake. Yeah, and so David David's faith wasn't just like magically ready to fight; it had been trained for years to go before bigger battles. Yeah. And I think that's something that we we miss like discipleship's so key because your faith doesn't just magically grow. You actually have to be you actually have to show up. You actually have to participate. You actually have to be a part of the process. It's it's not just a matter of God just help me grow in a maturity. There's going to be some stretching that's going to come through moments and events that God's like, I'm here. Are you here? Yeah, but that you've got to posture yourself. Yes. For yes. It. Yeah. And you and you and you kind of have to. You have to. You have to um, step into it willfully and and um, be a, be a full part of the process. So mm-hmm. what? So what about on the other side of like? We we both know in ministry and in discipleship, disciple making, you can have those moments where it's like, wow. The Holy Spirit's obviously working in Eli, and the Holy Spirit was working in our relationship, and, and other guys, too, no, mm-hmm. without a shadow yeah. of a doubt. But then you go into the next season, and you're the one discipling somebody, or and it's just like the it doesn't seem to have the same yeah. 
fire or the same consistency is not there. You know, you we we've both probably had the moments where you you you've got a group or or some guys and you're like, hey, let's meet up, and somebody's like, oh man, stayed up too late last night. I'll see, you know, like yeah. where the commitments. You're pulling people instead of them showing up hungry. I mean, what 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 do you experience on the back end of that and different discipling relationships? Yeah, I had, I think there was a little bit. There was almost a period of time where, like, my experience with one-on-one discipleship for you and I uh, lulled me into a false sense of expectation <laughs> for what was going to happen uh-huh. once. Once, like the natural product of that discipleship is that it's going to, it's going to multiply and it's going to yeah. divide and then it's going to you know I'll be discipling somebody else. That's just the way that it happens. But that like when I did that, there was a couple of different examples. I'm not going to name names because it's not that kind of podcast. Right. But like there was plenty of examples of like why why are you not you know that the, the person just did maybe didn't want to. They didn't want to prioritize it. They weren't yeah. as faithful. They weren't as available. They weren't as teachable. Yeah. Um, that like, uh, there's an element to which you can't really control that. Um, and I think some of those experiences they were definitely uh, discouraging um, at different points. Um, another thing I had to kind of like wrestle with for me personally was I started to feel like um, it was my fault. Mm. Like. I was failing um, as a disciple maker mm-hmm. um, because of that, and I had to, you know, the Holy Spirit had to kind of correct that um, idea in my mind. That's like I'm not, I'm not, we're not failing when we are sharing with someone and they don't mm-hmm. care for what we say, you know, yeah. to lead a horse to water and they don't drink. Like that's not, that's not on me um, necessarily. Um, and so, like, I had to kind of learn to show myself some grace in that because, like, I'm, I'm just naturally hard on myself. But then it was also, I think, after the fact, through some of those experiences, I realized that realistically, discipleship on a practical level in my life is not always going to look like it looked like for you and I. Hmm. Yeah. And that honestly, from my experience and from stories I've heard from other people... I think stories like yours and mine are maybe few and far between mm-hmm. yeah. in the in the specific sort of context. Like we yeah. met together consistently mm-hmm. in person for years, mm-hmm. and then we maintained a close relationship mm-hmm. following that up until today. Yeah, that's a that's probably a rare case. Yeah, um, that what I've learned over the years since then is to kind of like in showing myself a little bit of grace with discipleship. The, the gift was that I know today what my calling in life is. Yeah. It's not a mystery to decode. I know what it is, that that process of discipleship for me made that abundantly clear. And so now I know that, like, me living my life as a disciple maker, um, it's going to be a lot more on the way, along the road, yeah. as you go with the people, maybe for a moment, uh, maybe for a long season, maybe for a month or two, maybe for years um, that you get to, like, disciple someone, but that the the real most valuable applications for discipleship 
were about the like heart and mindset that made our relationship valuable more than like the mechanics yeah. and the specific context of it. That initially I kind of thought, well, what you need to successfully disciple someone is you need once a week meetings, you need right. the, the uh, disciplines calendar, you need yeah. you know this you know X Y Z uh, sort of boxes checked. Yeah. When in reality. I can see now in retrospect that those weren't the things Mm -hmm. that made our discipleship work. And so in the same way, it's not the things that's going to make discipleship work from me to another person now either. Um, That then enables you to kind of think about more practical, as-you-go sort of disciple-making and just sort of mindsets and habits that that allow you to practice everyday disciple-making. Yeah. The the neat thing over the years is that you've worked in different contexts. You've worked in church ministry with different types of church ministry. Now you're working outside of the church context, um, and discipleship remains something that's been obviously impacted both sides of things. I mean, what what do you, what about discipleship uh, helps you navigate even career and how you look at career? Yeah. Um, how you think of your own career? I mean, I think to 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 back up even a little bit, like to the topic of calling, that I was definitely in a spot in my spiritual life when you and I's discipleship relationship started, where I was trying to figure out what's God calling me to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was during that season where I began to pray, God, I just want to be where you want me to be. Right. So I started really actively considering what is my calling, and I think. A lot of people, when they think about calling, you know, they're watching for kind of a, a burning bush, a falling leaf, an apple from the tree, whatever, a fleece on the ground sort of a moment mm-hmm. to give this specific path. But what I realized was that my calling was not this sort of like Da Vinci Code puzzle. It was laid out very clearly when you asked me the question at our very first lunch meeting, do you really feel that you're following after Jesus? Mm. Um, what that led into was a conversation of like, if you want to know where to go next, the starting line for that is following Jesus today. Mm. And so for me, in looking at like, what does that look like now in whatever job context, what I learned is that the calling, for anybody who's listening, who's wrestling through that, like, what is my calling in my mm-hmm. life? This is not an arrogant thing to say. I know what it is. Yeah, I know without a shadow of a doubt what it is. Jesus made it very clear. He came to seek and to save the lost. Matthew 4.19 said he's going to make you into fishers of men. Matthew 28, he said, therefore, go make disciples of all nations. He's laid out the calling on your life. It is to make disciples. It's to preach the gospel and teach them to obey everything that Christ has commanded. And so what that means is, practically, I'm of the opinion it doesn't matter where you work. Yeah. It doesn't matter what your vocation is. It doesn't matter what house you move into, what city you live in, what, you know, none of that really matters. That, like, what, where the rubber meets the road for a person who wants to be an active disciple maker, you have to ask yourself, are you following Jesus right now? Mm. Whatever your nine to five is, are you following after Jesus? Because if you do that, then along that path, Along the path of the disciples following after Jesus was where all of the ministry happened. Yeah. Jesus' ministry was not, you know, a conference here, you know, some wandering, and then a conference there. All of Jesus' ministry was along the path. Yeah. 
wherever he went, there was ministry that needed to be done, and it varied from place to place. That In all likelihood, that's going to be what disciple-making looks like in any believer's life. It's going to be along the path as you go. Whatever your nine-to-five is, it's going to look like listening to people more yeah. than talking to them. Yeah. It's going to look like uh, getting to know their life and their experience. It's going to be... Uh, being willing to be vulnerable with more people who are in your social circle so that they might be more vulnerable with you. Um, you'll have deeper relationships with people, even for the ones that you'll never count as like your closest friends. You can you can do things to cultivate a deeper relationship with them yeah. that will lead to ways to disciple them. And then when you think about it in that sort of a sense, I think it almost boils down to in my life, if I am, if every choice that I make and the things that I do with my time are made motivated by my faith in Jesus and the gospel, mm -hmm. then discipleship for me looks like teaching other people to do the things that I'm doing. Like disciple making looks like the thing that I'm doing right now, I'm doing because I'm a disciple. And so along the way, discipleship is like, hey, I'm doing this thing. Why don't you come with me? Um, and it can be as simple as that. Even if you don't meet once a week for seven years, right. uh, it can just be like, hey, come along with me. And you teach a lesson here and there to someone or you learn a lesson from someone along the way. That is, that, that, that's still disciple-making. That's actively considering yeah. me following after Jesus is going to put me in to every context in my life. So yeah. while I'm there, I'm going to be watching for opportunities to make disciples. I think that's actually really refreshing for people because it 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 means that there's actually always a north star for us and that is making disciples. I mean, it's it's the great commission, it's Matthew 4:19. It's it's that we follow after Jesus and where are we right now? Well, we need to be following after Jesus. Um, the other thing with that is it's it's like you said, it's a calling not just for you and for me, not just for, you know, pastors and and uh, just leaders in the church, but it is a calling for every single Christian mm -hmm. that it's, I think sometimes it gets put in this category of like, well, disciple making is like a spiritual gift. You know, you know, some people are good at it. And if you're not, then you don't need to do it. Well, it's like, no, we're all on this call on this journey of, uh, of following Jesus to make followers of him. And, um, and, and so no matter what vocation we find ourselves in or calling that we've, we've got, it's like, man, the primary one is I'm going along with Jesus. I'm mm -hmm. following after him, being obedient to him and teaching other people to do the same, yeah. both in the way that I live, my example, and in the way I proclaim what, what is true in my life, the good news, the gospel, um, is, is, is so key. Um, yeah. Something that comes to mind is like, I mean, and I don't know, maybe, maybe I don't have a great question for this, but but it is it is duly uh, impactful in marriage, in parenting. Yeah, it, it it is the north star for those things as well. Yeah. it's not like well, you know, I learn discipleship here, learn marriage here, learn parenting here, learn coaching here, learn how to yeah. run a company here. It's like everything we do in disciple making correlates to leadership, teamwork, camaraderie, yeah. 
how we parent our kids. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so, uh, it's just almost like discipleship is just life rhythm. You For are, sure. you are being discipled by someone or something. The question is who or what? Yeah, exactly. Even non-Christians are being discipled. It's just, what's the thing that you're becoming? Yeah. Um, and, you know, the the reason why, like, in the context of a family with a husband and wife or with a parent and their kids, like, it's, it's uh, synthesized so perfectly because, like, even when you're not sitting down with your kids teaching them some specific thing, you are still teaching them, and you'll know that you are when two weeks down the road, they do something and your wife goes, where in the world did you learn that? And you go, oh boy, that was, that was probably me actually. Yeah. That, uh, that's the perfect example of like, because of the rhythms that you are all in together in such close proximity, every single thing you do is teaching your, your family about the things that you love the most, the things that you value the most, the things that you um, want to guard yourself from, like, that that's that's where like active discipleship is really happening just by you living your life in close proximity with those people um and that it's the same thing for a person who's not married with kids if anything that that kind of like is the nature of Paul's comments when he's saying like you know maybe think twice before you get married or have kids it's not because those are bad things but it's because like when you do that the sphere of influence for your disciple making yeah. it will be limited because we're all no matter how eager we are to disciple we're all human beings with a limited capacity we only we all have the same amount of time we all have the same amount of uh, you know opportunity in like a given time period and so like once you have a wife and a family your disciple making is going to be more constrained to those relationships because those are going to be the circles you are most constantly committed to, yeah. but the application and the practicality of it is the same for anyone, whether yeah. you're married or have kids or not, that disciple-making is the rhythms of life that you maintain with the people around you, and just know that whether you're kind of trying to or not, you're, you're teaching other people about you and what you love and value, and uh, they're learning from you, whether yeah. they say it or not. Yeah. I, I, th- I think this is... Uh, People are actually better at following than they realize because oftentimes it's like breathing. We imitate what we see and like. We can't help oh, it. Yeah, for sure. We just can't help it. Like I'm sure people can like think of maybe it's a friend of yours that you like were friends in high school and like you only see them a couple of times a year. Yeah. But like the people close to you, they can tell when like, oh, it looks like such and such has been in town. Yeah. Right? Because like yeah. when you hang out with them, like I can think of I can think of a list of friends that are like that. That when they come to town, I start like talking a little bit different. <laughs> I start like making the certain kind of jokes because like we're just influencing each other whether we think about it or not. I don't do yeah. that intentionally like yeah. oh, I better bring out some old like slang terms. We just do it because of that relationship yeah. and because it so naturally happens. Yeah. It happens when I hang out with you yeah. or like when I hang out with my brother. Yeah. Like all of that sort of comes out and we see how much we're influenced by whoever we yeah. are interacting with. And so we should understand in both directions the influence we're having on other people and the influence that they're having on us. The the thing I think that's interesting about you and I's discipleship relationship was I did what doesn't often happen, which is I recognize 
that if you and I spend time together, you will have an influence on me. So mm. I came to you and said, I want you to have an influence on my life. Mm. So let's make our lives overlap yeah. more frequently. Yeah. But ultimately, that's all we did from yeah. sort of a base level is yeah. I asked for that influence, but all of us are getting it whether we ask for it or not. Yeah. No, I, I 1,000% um, agree with that. The other, the other aspect of that, which is probably like we need to – I, I want to have like – um, more stories that we tell, like of our of our own, like story and conversion, but but discipleship really has to has to involve the brutal honesty of the confession of sin piece, mm-hmm. and a lot of people are fearful of that. And I, I completely understand why. Yeah. <laughs> like you know, it's not a that's not a shocker, but th- that's the that's the area because I think our hearts start to protect the things that we've been like using to you know willfully op- disobey God or run from God, and so the moment we get in proximity close enough with one another where we're starting to lay those down, that's a really painful process, yeah. and 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 it's it's a painful process not just because you're you know other people are kind of in on it with you, but because uh, you are laying down what has been the ultimate thing for you. Um, Kierkegaard says it like, uh, sin isn't the doing of bad things. It's the making of good things into ultimate things mm-hmm. where we make, where we make something into this. It basically has a throne sitting on the throne. And anytime you remove that thing that's on the throne, that's not Jesus. It's, it's a painful thing to yeah. let go of. And, yeah, um, cause you realize how closely you'd been holding on to yeah. it. And how necessary it was for you to feel okay and all of that kind of stuff. It's the most vulnerable you can be. It truly is like I'm cracking open yeah. myself to show you sort of the deepest yes. parts of who I am. Yeah. And that and that part has so much to do with our story, so much to do with obviously not just like disciple making, but even just like evangelism, like the gospel um, becoming the story in our lives. And um and but but man, like as difficult as it is to open up and just be brutally honest with our sin, there's nothing better yeah. than becoming honest with it. Because yeah. the moment you put light on it and you are letting other people help you with it, yeah. that's when you start to see the gospel in community as well. For sure. All of the the theological discussions I've had with people over the years, like, to, to like think about it from that angle. I've shared this with people multiple times, uh, and I've given this advice to other believers, uh, is that like over the years, I wouldn't have necessarily expected this uh, from looking at it from the starting line of sort of my spiritual formation, but from here where I stand today, I've said to multiple people that the most, some of the most cherished uh, and um, loved doctrines that I hold on to today are the doctrines of sin and uh, the realities, the theological sort of realities of sin and God's holiness and my uh, sinfulness because it was it was wrestling with those things that allowed me to understand all that God had done for me. Yeah. And without discussing that and enduring the difficult process of exposing those things, 
really naming the things that I had been holding on to so closely and uh, really calling those things out and being honest and vulnerable with myself, with other people, um, it, it made all of the difference in the world. Yeah. Because once I made my sin real to myself, now I could enjoy uh, the reality of what the gospel has given to me. When I really yeah. faced the sin that I brought to the table, yeah. brought to the cross, then I really saw how immense of a gift yeah. Jesus' death was. And you just don't get that. There's no yeah. shortcut to that other than confessing and being honest with your sin. And you know what? There was I can remember it, a practical moment. One of the pieces of advice that you gave me during a season of my life was specifically in sin that I was wrestling with repeatedly. You were the one who encouraged me. You said that you had done it, and you encouraged me to do the same, was to literally write out in a journal. Mm-hmm. I could find the journal at home where I wrote out pages of particular sins that I had been wrestling with that I had been refusing to name mm-hmm. and really acknowledge. And mm-hmm. so they had been continuing to lie dormant and slowly poisoning my heart and the spiritual fruit. But like it was the process of naming them, being honest with myself and other people about what sin was still present there in my life that helped me to cherish and love the gospel for me in uh, the most real way. Yeah, I, th- I think that's that's another reason why discipleship is more than the spiritual disciplines, is more than the rhythms, is that once you once you actually and and I think that can only happen with trust. I I, I probably used to be like, hey, be open about your stuff with anybody and everybody that'll listen, like, because you need to get it out. Yeah. But I'm much more now with people that you trust, with people that you know care about you, love you, that you know will will walk with you. That's those are the people that God has specifically given you to not carry it anymore on your own, yeah. and and to let let it out. It's like it's it's um it's David and Jonathan. It's the yeah. it's it's the um, friend who's there and not going to be like oh no big deal. It's it's the friend who's like this is against God and like go repent um and let's go deeper. You know, um huge. And when you just think of discipleship as like, let's say, you, you know, obviously, you, God knows the number of hairs on our head. He formed us before we were in our mother's womb. He um, he had good works prepared in advance for us to do long before. Um, and so we're, we're created and designed and thought of by God. And then we're born, and the first misstep, the first thought misstep, steps misstep the the first uh, action we take where where the world starts to just kind of like consume us and we start to kind of get we 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 get really tangled up because we start we were created for him but we're like well, we were created for the we want to do things this other way we get really tangled up and then Jesus comes in and calls us and discipleship is the process through which we actually get detangled yeah and we get formed properly. We're, we we were deformed by the world. We maybe we were deformed by a, a horrible upbringing, or deformed by our own willful decision to you know kind of go against God. Discipleship is Jesus saying, "Let me form you." Yeah. And Confession. Yeah. The there's a there's a hip hop group 
called Beautiful Eulogy. They have this song that I love, and there's a lyric uh, from it that I think about often. Uh, it says, what's concealed in the heart of having is revealed in the losing of things. Mm, and so good. like, it, it exposes this reality of like the thing that you have that you're holding on to that you think has no power over you, take it away and see and then we'll see how you yeah. actually feel about it wow that that is the reason why so many believers are yet to wrestle with the sin that's staying in their heart because they're not pr- practicing that confession mm-hmm. with a trusted person because yeah. when you do that it's I'm taking the thing I've been holding on to and now I'm going to stretch it out and I'm going to hand it over to you so now that you know what it is and you're going to tell me that I can't have it back Right. That you need to take this out of your life, and then I get to start. Then I now I actually wrestle with how much of how much that sin had a hold on my heart. Yeah. Now I get to actually wrestle with what am I going to be now that you know this thing has been pried away. It's a painful process, mm-hmm. but it's also the only way to really experience like freedom. I, I I'm, yeah. I'm wholeheartedly believe it that that confession and sharing with the trusted individual, it's the only way to get to that level of freedom and, and not holding on to that thing anymore. Yeah. Man, that's that's good. Um, th- Shout I, out beautiful eulogy. Yeah, I was going to say. I, that's, <laughs> that's another, there's another thing. You, you introduced me to a lot of... of Because uh, I've never been a huge fan of like <laughs> mainstream Christian contemporary art and artists. <laughs> And you're you're one who like man you'll you'll come up with you'll, like beautiful eulogies one um, that showed you that there are some there cool are ones, yeah even yeah. though the majority of them are still super lame yeah I don't I you know it's and it's it's tough because I don't want to say like I mean, they're if it's worship or whatever but like <laughs> but there's 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 a certain style and just a lot of it's not. Not just wait until you finally play Dungeons and Dragons with me. <laughs> <laughs> then you see you haven't even realized. We uh Eli is a yeah. I I went over to Eli's house the other night and we have we've been working on um a a new logo for the church that we're excited to release soon and show soon and and uh um and so that's gonna be awesome. But when I went over to kind of look at some renderings, um Eli had a live stream of a Dungeons and Dragons game. Is it called a game, or we call it a match? <laughs> no, is it quest? Sure. What do you? No, no. Don't say sure. You care about this. What is it? It was just. It was a video of some people who play Dungeons and Dragons, and then they record it for people to watch. Okay, thank you. So it's not a game or a match or a quest. It's. It's a. It's a game. It's like I'd say it's a game. Anyways, it was on, and that that video you were watching that for how long? Well, I mean that that video that was like a shorter one. That episode is about an hour and a half to two hours. Nerd. Yeah. Nerd. But I told you about that. There's other ones I've watched for way longer. So <laughs> that's far from the most embarrassing thing about me. But maybe that's a maybe in in closing out this episode. That's a, another lesson about uh, how much interest, common interest doesn't have diddly squat to do <laughs> Amen, with the success of our ways because in, in all actuality, <laughs> you and I have 
very little we in do. common when it comes to interests. We have very little in common. Eli, Eli's a big uh, uh, basketball fan, correct? <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah. no sports. I don't like. I don't know anything about sports. I'm not athletic at all. Uh, you would know that if this was not an audio only podcast. Like, not my thing. I like. I like playing Dungeons and Dragons. I like painting and art and music and <laughs> you're just a neanderthal you're like football and i don't know weightlifting <laughs> and none of that thankfully none of that stopped us from being friends no amen amen to that jesus is the uniter um aaron's been on this podcast with us as well the pew man the pew meister Pew pew pew, Aaron. Um, what are our, what are our loyal and trusted fans asking during this episode? Any good questions come through the pipe? Man, the the Instagram live feed has been <laughs> it's been fire. Somebody, good. one or two people, is like, wait, they do this on Instagram live? No, no, they don't. Anything to add, Aaron? Anything you need to say or drop here before we sign off? I really don't think there's anything to add at this point. Okay. <laughs> We've covered all the bases. Story of my life. Basically. <laughs> Man, Eli, thanks for thanks for being on here. I've I've enjoyed this conversation a lot. And it brings up there's a lot more conversations we need to have about discipleship, how it looks, how it works. And we would just encourage you. Um uh if you are if you are like if you heard this episode and you're like, I don't know if I've been discipled, let's talk. Because mm-hmm. we don't want that to be true as you go through your life where you're like, I don't know. I mean, that's a main uh, invitation from Jesus. Or maybe the, the advice I would give, maybe even the person who's like, I see the person who I'm like, I, I look up to them so much. I respect yeah. them so much. Do the thing that nobody does in 2024 and go up to them and say, hey, you are, you just seem awesome. And like, yeah. seems like you know some things that I don't know. Yeah. Will you just, can we like have our lives overlap more often? Yeah. Like it'll be amazing like what that could give to somebody. That's good. That's good. We love you guys. We'll talk to you next week on the District Podcast.